We're going to be continuing a series of messages that I started more than a month ago. We just got started with two messages and I've got probably another half a dozen or so in the book of Joshua. Joshua is the name of our Savior. We know him as Jesus. Those names, Joshua and Jesus, are the same name, just different pronunciation. And of course, Joshua was in the Old Testament, and Jesus brought in the New Testament. But the two of them are similar in some ways. And so in this book, we will be able to track and follow a message that speaks of someone who can give us guidance and lead us to finding rest. This is not original. This title is not original with me. If you were here when Kent was here, my son Kent, he also had a series of messages for a month on finding rest. And so I thought, well, he's my son, so what he has is mine and what's mine is his. So I thought I would just take this title. But I knew that I was to speak on Joshua. And so I tried to come up with a different title or theme. But I thought, okay, just give it up, Ron, and go ahead and use Finding Rest. Anyway, this is a study in Joshua. But you remember we were doing a series in Hebrews, and we came upon this early in the book of Hebrews where it mentions Joshua, chapter 4 and verse 8 to 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Let's be diligent to enter rest, but not following the example of disobedience. And many of us, all of us, every one of us in this room has stumbled and fallen. That's our nature as Adam's race. We are not perfect, none of us. I don't care whether you're a graduate from Todai or you're a graduate from kindergarten. <laughs> we are fallen and we need a savior. Many of us don't know we need a Savior, but all of us know that we need rest. In fact, God made us to be awake, alive, bright, and then to rest. It's part of the way that we are made as human beings. There's not one of us in this room who has not slept for a whole month. Is that true? You might have missed a couple hours. Or you might have missed all of last night because 
I don't know. You know what's going on in your life. Maybe there's troubles and worries and things that are bringing you down and so you just really, your mind is actively trying to figure out how am I going to get through this? That's our nature. That's the way we were created for life and for rest. For being wide awake and cognitive of everything around us and rest. We need rest. But what kind of a rest is this verse talking about? If Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What in the world is a Sabbath rest? You all know the word Sabbath, right? Sunday, we call it. Sabbath actually is Saturday, but we as believers in Jesus Christ have transferred our allegiance, our focus, not only from Christmas, but to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And that is what we refer to as a Sabbath rest. But in the Old Testament, a Sabbath rest was no work, very little travel, nothing that would interrupt entering into a time of rest, complete rest. That's what it meant in ancient times. That's what it still means in present-day Israel and among those of our Jewish friends, the Sabbath. But for us, it's the resurrection that brings us into complete rest. As I mentioned, Joshua's name is actually the same name as Jesus. And Joshua is a picture, an example of what God intends to continue in the story of redemption of mankind. In Hebrews 4, 8 to 11 is a brief commentary on the book of Joshua. It is a call to truly enter into rest that was offered Israel, but they doubted they did not enter into a Sabbath rest. They could have gone into the promised land 40 years previous to the time of Joshua taking them in. They did not understand the meaning of true rest in trusting God's word and promises. And we are going to talk about rest, true rest. And I trust that by the end of the message, you will get a strong sense of our creator, redeemer's intention toward we as fallen mankind. Entering his rest is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our champion for what he accomplished on our behalf by bringing us into a relationship with Creator God, who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's where? John 3.16. Let me also state for some of us who have been around for many years, Crossing Jordan is not a metaphor or example of entering heaven. Did you get that? 
There's some old, old songs when I was a kid that I heard talking about crossing Jordan and going to heaven. That's the wrong picture. Jordan is just speaking of our entering into the reality of who we are as the people of God. It's not about going to heaven. So we need to kind of shift our gears when we think about the Jordan River. Katie and I read an email this past week by some good friends of ours who visited Israel. First time they had visited, and they explored a lot of different areas of Israel. And the wife is quite verbose in describing everything that she saw in the weeks that she was in Israel. And I was very interested to hear her talk about the Jordan River. But as I read her words, she talked about the garbage and the filthiness of the Jordan River. Who would want to be baptized in the Jordan River, she asked. I haven't been there. It doesn't talk about really the Jordan being a heavenly river. But it does talk about God, our creator, setting us free and bringing us into our inheritance as Israel has been promised the land. So all of us inhabitants are promised that we would inherit eternal life, as we read in John 3.16. That's what it's talking about. It's not about a river specifically, but it is about the fact that God takes us through hard things so that we can learn how to rest. Did you ever think about that when you're awake at night and you can't sleep, what do you think about? Well, I've tried counting sheep and I just can't imagine counting sheep. That's not where we get rest. Where we get rest, and I'll tell you just right up front in this series, it is in putting your trust completely in the Lamb of God, Jesus. And it doesn't matter what kind of circumstance we're in. I've read stories of brother or sister who have been in prison, tortured, intimidated, suffered, and yet have got peace. I'm thinking of Samuel Lamb, who I've met personally a couple of times, pastor in Guangzhou, visited his church. He spent over, I think it was 14 years, in a prison, working hard. And yet, that man, I sat this far from Samuel Lamb as he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the communist government told him, you cannot preach the resurrection. You can preach anything, but not the resurrection. Why? Because that's our entrance into perfect rest. And Samuel Lamb, unbelievably, a skinny little man, but very powerful in his preaching. 
and a happy face and an incredible inspiration to me. I'll never forget it. That is perfect rest. And he said, if they came and arrested me again today, I would gladly go because Jesus was there with me the whole time. That is rest. That is assurance. And that's what we all look for, isn't it? So my recommendation, if you can't sleep, start praying. You'll probably fall asleep right away. <laughs> the Lord of all the earth, by the way, I'm just starting here. Joshua rose early in the morning, said, consecrate yourselves. And then Joshua said, the living God is among you. Those are our points for this morning. Let's go. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits, or at the note there at the bottom, 914 meters. A cubit is the length of a man's arm. So a cubit can vary a little bit. About 18 inches, I think it is. Joshua sent out two spies into the land of Canaan, and they entered the pagan city of Jericho. When the two spies returned from their reconnaissance, they came to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported to him all they had discovered. They told Joshua, Surely the Lord is handing over the land to us. All who live in the land are cringing before us. Joshua and the people were ready that time. Remember, Joshua was an old man by now, about my age. Joshua remembers what Caleb said when they came back the first time when Joshua and Caleb went with the 10 other spies. When they came back from spying out the land 40 years previous to this time, the people and Joshua said, let's go now and take possession of the land. We should be more than able to conquer it. That's what they said then, and that's what they believed now, 40 years later. The day after the spies reported their findings, Joshua rose early in the morning. He had been waiting for this day for 40 years. This reminds me of Jesus in Mark 1.35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place. The day after the two spies reported their findings, Joshua got up early in the morning. They left Shittim and came to the Jordan and set up their camp before crossing the river. The river was in flood stage in April or May, right at the barley harvest. The river was wide, impassable. He said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant 
of the Lord your God, being carried by the Levitical priest, walk behind it. Stay about 3,000 feet behind it. Keep your distance so you can see which way you should go, for you have not traveled this way before. Katie and I talked about why such a distance. Was it so that no one would touch the ark? No. It was so that they could see which way to go. There were two million of these Israelites. And can you imagine if you're in the middle of two million people? It'd be like in the middle of Shinjuku Station. <laughs> well, Shinjuku Station at one time doesn't have two million people. It does have about two million people going through it in a day. Can you imagine what it'd be like to be standing in the middle of two million people? Particularly if you're short. But they were to stay that far away so that they could see which way to walk through the river so that you may know the way. And that leads me to understand our Father wants us to know the way. It's very important for us. And it may seem like Jesus and God are far away from us. But in that point, we can still know which way to go. And in oftentimes, it's not when Jesus is close to you, but when he seems to be far away, that you can get the direction, that's where I need to go, toward him and follow him. Remember that when you can't sleep at night. Remember that when you're facing a problem that is beyond your ability and you know it. He might be far ahead of you, but he's leading you. Put your trust in him. That's what faith is about. Not seeing with your eyes, but knowing with your spirit, knowing in your heart, this is what he wants me to do. And know that he's speaking to you in a still, small voice. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. What does the word consecrate mean? Set yourself apart. Set apart, be dedicated, separate. And so Joshua said, take the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people so that they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. And they were ready to follow. Now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And so they were getting themselves ready to follow these commands. 
And God says to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. Why would God say that? I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. Moses was a great leader. Probably the greatest leader of any human being mentioned in the Bible. That's why the Jews just, they thought Moses was even as great or maybe even greater than Abraham. But Abraham also knew God and followed him explicitly in almost every case. A few times he didn't. And Moses didn't either. They were just men like you and I. But yet, I think what God is really saying here, this day I will begin to consecrate you. It's not the same word in the Hebrew. It's a different word. Consecrate and exalt are two different words. But they have the same result. So that the people would begin to identify this man follows the Lord. We need leaders like that. We need people that we can trust. That they've gone ahead and they know what is up front. Joshua knew what they were facing crossing the river. He'd been there. And so he receives this personally. What God said to him, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. doesn't mean that he's the top dog or he's the greatest leader. He wasn't thinking of that. But when times get tough, then it requires leadership, godly leadership. And that's what we all look for. And then Joshua said to them, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. I practiced those about ten times each. (laughs) Can't you tell? Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. And it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. The living God is among you. And they were being led by the Ark of the Covenant. Their focus was on God himself. So when the people left their tents to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. When the ones carrying the Ark reached the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark touched the surface of the water, the Jordan was at flood stage all during the harvest time. The water coming downstream toward them stopped flowing. It piled up far upstream 
at a town named Adam, the city near Zarethan. There was no water at all flowing to the sea of the Rift Valley, the Salt Sea. The people crossed the river opposite Jericho. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on the dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. All Israel crossed over on dry ground until the entire nation was on the other side. Does that remind you of another story of leaving Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea? Some of these people were just kids when this happened. All Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation was on the other side. What we're doing here this morning on this first Sunday of the month is we are participating in a ritual, yes, in a act that points us to who is leading us. This is not just something that we have made up. It comes straight out of the word of God to us. When Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And they were his trusted, his believing disciples. They had no idea, or at least they might have had a little bit of an idea of what was going to happen in the next 24 hours. But really they didn't. The end of that day, Jesus hung on a cross and died for us. This is my body. This is my blood given for you to sanctify us, to set us apart, to exalt us from our sin and from our earth-bounded lives so that we could be true followers of the King Almighty. That's what he's calling us to as a people. And we are a peculiar people. Those of us who have received eternal life, we know where we're going and we know who's leading us. And so we celebrate this together. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you know that he is yours and you are his, then we welcome you to share with us in this ceremony, in this practice of demonstrating who our Lord is and our explicit trust in Him.